Hey there, I'm Edwina Kennedy, registered pediatric dietitian and mom of two, and this is the My Little Eater podcast. Each week, I'll be dishing out all the best info on feeding and nutrition for your baby and toddler, answering all of your what do I do when scenarios, and helping you gain complete confidence in not only feeding your child, but in parenting as well. Every episode is filled with actionable and proven feeding strategies delivered by a mama and a feeding expert who's been there and done that. I hold your hand and take you step-by-step through all stages of feeding while showing you how to implement what I teach you so that you can raise a happy and healthy little eater of your own. Let's do this. Hey, welcome back to the My Little Eater podcast. So today I'm very excited to say we have a very special guest on the show. Her name is Melanie Potok. She is a speech language pathologist and feeding therapist, and she treats children from birth all the way to teens who have difficulty eating. Now, Melanie's advice has been shared in a variety of television and print media, including the New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, Parents Magazine, and more. She is the author of a variety of different books, one on raising a happy, healthy eater for toddlers, one on um, baby self-feeding for babies, and the one that we're going to be talking about today covers strategies for parent and child, and it's called Adventures in Veggieland, Help Your Kids Learn to Love Vegetables with 100 Easy Activities and Recipes. Now, they're all based on research and Melanie's 20 years of success as a pediatric feeding therapist, so listen in, it's really good. And she also has a new children's book called You Are Not an Otter, The Story of How Kids Become Adventurous Eaters, which is available in two languages on Amazon. I will make sure to link all of these books for you and resources in the show notes. Melanie's live and online courses for parents and professionals can also be found over at melaniepotok.com along with her contact information. So guys, if those credentials don't convince you that this woman knows what she's talking about when it comes to feeding, then I really hope this interview does it for you. So let's dive in. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm so, so happy to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) So I just want to start off by saying that you have probably been the biggest online mentor for me, um, especially as I first ventured into this world of counseling picky eaters, as many of my listeners do know. I started my journey into this whole like counseling picky eaters and um, families of picky eaters when I first started having picky eaters of my own. And I quickly realized that as a parent and a dietitian myself, um, it was not easy at all finding the information that I needed. Even as someone who was trained in nutrition, who um, lived and breathed it, it was still so hard to find more of those practical tips, strategies that I needed. Um, And most of the times, I would hear probably the two most common things were um, keep exposing them to new foods Mm -hmm. and this is just a phase. Those two things were always, always repeated to me. And I quickly came to realize that, well, first of all, um, it wasn't going to be just a phase if I didn't know how to help them learn to get out of it. Um, And B, how, like I always had this question, well, how do I keep exposing them? What does that mean? How many times? What do I say when I expose it to them? What is an exposure? Like all these questions around, again, the practicality of it. So, um, but hands down, I should say the the most valuable information that I started to get was when I discovered you and um, you taught me so much in terms of 
the feeding therapy side of things. Um, because again, as a dietitian, I was trained to know how much iron does a toddler need? How much, you know, protein should we feed him? What's a serving? All this, this type of thing. But the feeding therapy side and like learning about how oral motor functioning works and how to approach things with anxious eaters or even eaters who might have like a developmental delay or sensory issues or something like that. Your work was so, so helpful. Um, and I even took your online picky eaters course for parents. Um, so really you gave me the foundation and kind of sparked this passion for me. So thank you. Thank you so much for all of your work. Nice of you. I, could we just talk every single morning and you could give me this little pep talk? This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. I will definitely, I I can talk about together every morning. This is like therapy. I love it. (laughs) Good. I'm happy to hear. Um, So Melanie, today I definitely want to talk to you primarily on the idea of food exploration and food play for kids. And I know that when parents come to me, um, they're usually coming to me with the very first question of how do I get my child to eat blank? And they sort of look at me funny when I say, you know, well, sometimes the goal isn't to get them to eat it. The goal is to start playing with it or just start exploring it. And they're like, what are you talking about, lady? Like, I want them to eat it. So, um, and I tell them, you know, if they're not putting it in their mouth right now, there's probably reasons for that. So I'm thinking we can just start off by getting you to explain a little bit about your thoughts around food play and food exploration and how that can help picky eaters. You bet. Sure, sure. So, When I'm talking to parents and I want them to understand about what I call the three E's, expose, explore, expand. And if we're focusing in on exposure first, what I want them to understand is that exposure doesn't necessarily mean a tablespoon of, I don't know, a couple pieces of broccoli, let's say, on your plate. Like, yeah, that's an exposure for sure. But exposure actually starts way sooner than that. It starts with going to the grocery store together if possible. It starts with washing the broccoli, even if it's just a bucket of water and another, maybe another bucket with a little bit of vinegar in there if you really wanna scrub it well or some fun scrubbies that the kids can use. And it's, it's essentially getting to know broccoli on the most basic level. It can include gardening, it can include picture books about broccoli. We know for sure there's good research that shows that picture books for toddlers that include pictures of the vegetables themselves, just using vegetables as one example, actually helps kids to eventually learn to love vegetables. So it's as simple as that when it comes to exposures. But as parents, I get it because I had my own very picky eater myself before I ever got into this field and before I became a speech language pathologist too. And, um, All I knew as I watched her struggling is this is going to take some time Mm -hmm. and I better keep it joyful and I better keep it fun for my sake too, you know, or I'm going to feed into the stress of this. A hundred percent. I think um, that's one of the things is we quickly move into that stress mode because we're worried about our kids, right? Um, When we see that they're not eating something and part of it is not knowing what to do around it, you feel helpless. And so that stress piece can make it really hard for not only you, but also for your child to 
loosen up, to feel comfortable, to want to explore things. And so that's where I kind of like the idea of food play, food exposure in positive ways, you know, and I, I know we'll talk about food play a little bit later on um, in more detail, but, you know, making it as simple and as easy as going to the grocery store and, and looking at the different types of vegetables and talking about them and naming them by name and what color is it. And so um, the more they see it, the more they're exposed to it in these formats, kind of the more they can become, you know, see them in a positive light. Right. And I think what a lot of the things that you teach is that, and, I, and that's what I love um, so much. So I know one of the things that I want to talk about for sure, I have your book, um, the adventures in veggie land book for anybody who doesn't know about this book, I will definitely link it in the show notes, but this has been really, really, really helpful for me with my kids, but also again, doing sessions with kids who come and see me in one-on-one counseling sessions. Um, you know, I work with them to help them get engaged with food in different ways. And so this book adventures in veggie land has tons and tons of recipes and ideas where you can basically choose almost any vegetable you can think of and start exposing your child to it in a really playful way. So can you talk a little bit about this book about the premise of your three E's, like you said, ex- expose, explore, expand, and how it kind of leads them through this process. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. You know, the idea for that book came about right after the release of my uh, one of my very first books, which is Raising a Healthy Happy Eater. It's right there over my shoulder. So I'd done this TV spot introducing the book. It had just launched. And I was talking about the three E's with the newscasters. And I was saying, expose, explore, expand. And I left there. I was literally driving home after this book just came out. And I went, I love raising a healthy, happy eater, but I need to write a book about the three E's. Mm -hmm. And what's the number one thing that parents want their kids to eat? It's always vegetables. They always say that. There are other ones that we can talk about too, like meat and eggs, et cetera. But vegetables is a hot topic for Mm -hmm. parents. So I thought, why don't I just create a cookbook so it's for any family? It doesn't have to be a kid in feeding therapy. It doesn't have to be a picky eater, just anybody. So that from the very start, parents grasp this idea of these exposures and exploration and how to expand from there. But hidden kind of in throughout that book, as you know, are all these feeding therapy tips. I can't help but write a book that doesn't provide tips for hesitant eaters. So um, that's the premise behind it. And expose essentially means what we just chatted about. It's any type of exposure, whether it's through picture books, gardening, washing the vegetables, doing food play. Every single vegetable in that book has a game or activity to introduce the vegetable with no pressure of eating. Now, the kids often end up eating or taking a bite when they're playing the game. That's great. But that's not actually the goal right away. Um, That's more of a bonus. And then once we introduce the vegetable through a fun activity, we can reuse a lot of the same vegetables that we just used for food play, and we can move into exposure, which, excuse me, into exploration, which is just very, very simple, easy, kid-friendly recipes. These are not Food Network gourmet, amazing, you know, it's really basic stuff because we want simple right now. And throughout the book, the kids learn that as we cook, we can take tiny tastes, even a little lick of food, and it's totally okay if we say, I don't like that. (laughs) Because how often do you and I cook and we take a taste and we're like, 
like, yuck. <laughs> I can't believe this. What are we going to do to make it different? I think it needs a little more salt. I'm, I like to add a little more vinegar to all my salad dressings. I'm more of a, that kind of punch in my dressing, you know? And I want the kids to understand that, that even people who love food, like you and me, all kinds of food, we take bites of things all the time and go, I don't care for that yet. And then we figure out how can we change that food to suit our palate? So the number one thing we can do for our picky eaters is help them understand that not every taste has to taste good. You have the power, little human being, of changing it to suit your palate. And the more you taste, eventually your palate adjusts to almost anything. And then finally, expand is just when we get into a little bit fancier recipes. Every single chapter, every single vegetable includes like a veggie dessert. And I want kids to understand that there aren't necessarily good foods and bad foods. They're just foods that have more nutrients. And there are other foods that are just yummy, like a cupcake. So if we can make chocolate beet cupcakes together and explore the beets and wash them and peel them and soften them up and puree them and stir them into our yummy chocolate batter, it makes it extra moist. It makes it a really pretty color. And it's really, really yummy. So just a variety of ways to make friends with 20 different vegetables. Oh my but you God. can apply it to almost any food. Yes. Okay. That is, I just love everything about that because you're inviting the toddler, the child. I work with toddlers, so I'm going to keep using that word. But, um, you know, you're inviting your child in on the process and helping them understand that, listen, like you're not, there's nothing abnormal about the fact that you don't like this. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing, you know, bad about that, which again, sometimes they might even get that message through unintentionally some of the things that we do as parents, but they're actually seeing that, Hey, look, this is normal. And I can learn to like it in different ways. I can learn to discover how it might taste better. I can say, I don't like it and that's okay. That doesn't mean I, I'm not going to touch it or smell it or look at it or play with it or whatever it is. Right. So it's kind of, again, this invitation, which I, I think your book does really well to just explore, like you say, all these different types of food. And then through that process, you know, hopefully come to learn to like it and eat it um, as the end goal. <laughs> so I want to ask you, because, you know, a lot of times, even in research articles and things like that, you hear like, you know, your child should be exposed to something 10 times before they'll eventually like it or 30 times or 40 times or 15 times. And then it almost seems like this arbitrary number. Um, right. I know my number in the sense that it's high. It's, it's not even a number from what I've experienced. But what would you say... Um, a counts as a food exposure and how many times do you have you kind of experienced it's required before a child eventually comes around well and i think that's the thing is it's a journey and if the end result is that they love it that's a lot of exposures i mean my co-author of raising a healthy happy eater she's a pediatrician and her kids eat amazingly healthy she always uses the example that it literally took seven years of exposure mm -hmm. to tomatoes for her teenager to eventually love tomatoes. And that doesn't mean that if at one point in that seven year journey, he wasn't able to take a bite every once in a while. There are all things, there are things that all of us eat that we're like, I don't really care for that. I'm not really a big kale fan, you know, to be honest with you, but I eat it because I want to learn to love it. And I know it's really good for me, but it's not my go-to favorite vegetable. Well, same with this kid with tomatoes, but if the ultimate goal is learning to love it, listen, we could be talking years. And I think that's what's confusing for parents is 
all the research is more around accepting it. And frankly, accepting can just be accepting it on the plate and not freaking out over the fact there's a Brussels sprout there, especially for our little toddlers who have such big reactions about things. So I honestly don't really pay as much attention to the number of exposures as I do. I pay attention to the cues and the clues that the child gives to me. And that's what I really take note of in my actual chart notes. That's the advantage of even being the feeding therapist and not the parent. Because when you're the parent, you're in the trenches every single day trying to, to get this kid to love a variety of foods where I'm coming in once or twice a week and I can say, whoa, that's a big change since last week. Look what I wrote down last week and look what you're reporting he's doing it now. And the parents sort of take a, uh, they can breathe a sigh of relief. So who knows how many exposures that really meant. It's more just inching along without a lot of pressure, yet gently pushing for that next step. And there are ways we can do that. Oh, I, I'm so glad you said that because I agree as well. And, um, you know, I think it's reassuring for parents to hear this is that it's not like you've done anything wrong or again, you're doomed to have a picky eater for life or anything like that. If you've done it 10 times or 15 times, and I know how exhausting it can be, trust me, I, I know, but my advice is just, just stop counting, right? It's not even about the number. It's never going to be a set number. Um, but it's about incorporating it in your daily life. And again, thinking about this as many years of kind of, of teaching your child and, and putting them in that environment where they can eventually learn to like it. And same thing, my, my kids are much older now. They're, uh, 10 and 11. Well, he'll be 10 in a couple days, but, um, a lot of people see my, on my Instagram stories, you know, my my kids are eating this and I can't believe your kids will accept that. And they'll cook with this and all this stuff. And I'm like, listen, like this took a long time. Again, keep in mind how old they are and keep in mind that this is what I do for a living and keep in mind that, you know, they've been doing this for so, so long. So cut yourself a little slack. Um, kind of see this as a long-term picture and, and understand that exposures kind of need to always happen frequently, but eventually, you know, they'll get there. Um, one of the questions that I want to ask you, Melanie, is how do you know when you're sort of ready to move them on to the next step? So if they've been, you know, observing things, because a lot of parents are teetering on that line of, I don't want to pressure my child. I don't want to push them too much. I don't want to veer them like away from this whole thing and not seeing this positively, but at the same time, you know, I want to advance them. So what are maybe the signs or suggestions you would look for from a child that shows that they're comfortable and I'm okay to push them a little bit further? And how would you advise parents on going about that? I, I think that's one of the number one questions I get from other therapists because I mentor a lot of therapists and oftentimes they'll call me and they'll say, this kid will kiss food all day long. <laughs> But he's been doing that for two months and I can't get him to the next step, you know. Um, or the parents will say, yeah, I'll play in it, but he hasn't had a bite of it for two years. And what they're really expressing there is they're stuck. They're stuck in a spot on the journey, right? And they don't know how to take that next step because A, they're worried the kid might really protest. And B, we're not supposed to pressure kids. So what do we do? And the longer a child is stuck at a specific step, especially if we think of it in terms of growth as an adventurous eater, or whether you think of it in terms of achieving goals in feeding therapy, however you want to look at it, it's the same thing. 
if they're stuck on one step for too long, it's like being at the top of the high dive and you've been standing there for 10 minutes shaking and you're not jumping in that pool. You know, the longer you stand there, the harder it's going to be. That's that anticipatory anxiety that we all experience that makes us freeze in our tracks. So I really want parents to follow that intuition we all have of, I know my kid pretty well. I kind of think he can take the next step, right? And don't let your kid get stuck there too long. So how do we go about that? How do we gently, gently push? I always explain to parents that if they ever watch like a really good soccer coach or a really good swim coach, if we're sticking with the idea of diving off the high dive, kids who are learning to swim might be excited to go to the pool at first, but when it really comes to getting in the water, there are plenty of kids, we've all seen it in swimming lessons, who do not want to get in that water. And the really good swim instructors or the swim coaches, they don't pick up that kid and throw them in the deep end. I mean, that's, we don't even have to discuss how wrong that is, right? But talk about creating fear and even more um, tendency to dig in your heels and not cooperate. Instead, what they do is they might have the kids just sit on the side of the pool while the other kids are in and observe the other kids. They might gradually work up to the kids putting their toes in or putting their little knees over the edge and kicking the water and engaging that way. They slowly work up to a point where the kids will slide their body in and turn around and hug at the back of the pool, right? We've all seen it. But all of a sudden, they've got that look on their face like, I'm doing it. That's what we need to do. Occasionally, especially toddlers and preschoolers, will run into a situation where the child might get a little teary. He might get a little, a little bit scared because of course he is. This is a new experience. I mean, I got a little teary when I first learned to ski down like a, a, a harder hill on the mountain. You know, it's like, I'm a little scared. That's a natural human reaction. On the other hand, we don't want kids to learn that if they get a little teary and they are expressing an honest reaction that we're suddenly going to stop. Whether it's math is hard and I'm getting a little frustrated, and a little teary, we don't stop practicing math. We still can practice our food homework. We can still continue to work on food play. And if we model calm as a parent and we stay calm in the water with them, give them a little bit of time to continue to get used to it, even through some tears, that's okay. I think so often we don't want to see kids get upset and we forget that toddlers and preschoolers get upset multiple times a day. I'm a speech language pathologist. I'm a communication specialist. This is how they communicate. And it's part of their emotional center in their brain to not be able to control it the way you and I can. So the best thing we can do for them is model calm not reassure too much because that only lets them know, yeah, you should feel kind of anxious about this, you know? So last example I'll share with you that I often share with my parents is the way I explain it is, listen, we all know that when your toddler is running down the sidewalk to get to the swing sets at the park and he falls and he hits the pavement and skins his knee a little bit, that we don't run over and go, oh my gosh, are you bleeding? We never do that. We might in the back of our mind think, Gosh, I hope, not, I hope we're not headed for stitches. But you sort of go over as calmly as you possibly can as a mom who's worried about their kid. And you say, hey, sweetie, let's take a look. You know, I think you're good. We'll brush it off when we get there. Let's keep going. Meanwhile, you're wondering if you've got a Band-Aid in your purse. But we model calm, 
even in the face of something like that, when we don't know when we get to our kid, how much of a skinny or maybe a bloody lip we might see. But parents model calm in those situations. And what do the kids learn? After a while, those kids are falling and skinning their knees and they're brushing it off and they're going, I'm fine. And they're off on the playground again because we taught them that they're okay and it's okay to be a little teary and, and just talk about how much that hurts or that was scary, but then to move on. So it, come, it brings us back to that's the issue is the kids get stuck and they don't know how to feel a little bit of discomfort and move on. So the sooner we help them do that, the better they'll do throughout their whole life, including around new foods. Like I said, a lot of us experience moments where we're like, oh God, it tastes good. It's not a pleasant experience, but we're fine. Wow. Yeah. I love the analogy that you gave about, you know, the little kid learning how to swim and being in the water and taking those baby steps and what the instructor might do and what steps they might take. It's, it is a lot of kind of new things that again, parents might not think about when it comes to being at the table and, and feeding their kids, you kind of do have to take that same approach that you might take with other aspects in parenting and bring it to the table. You know, yes, we want our children to advance. We don't want it to be a, a traumatic experience, but at the same time, you know, knowing that you're there, that you're confident, that you're telling them and you know, it's going to be okay. Um, they can see that they can see, you know, the, the feelings that you're reflecting and, um, and then kind of, model that as well and take, you know, absorb those feelings in. So, um, such a, such a good answer to that. I want to ask you, because I know I get this question so much in terms of what ideas can, um, we do as parents to help our kids, not just play with veggies. So I always talk about, you know, licking, um, touching something, smelling something, playing a game, pretending it's like a, a little character. You're going to make it go for a little bath in the, in the like yogurt sauce or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so they're really interacting and playing with things like veggies. But a lot of people get stuck when it comes to eggs and meat. And I know your book is all about veggies, but I'm wondering if you can just leave us with a couple tips around what you might suggest with those two food groups. Absolutely. Well, first of all, keep the portions super small. And I even recommend to parents that they keep a little ice cube tray. And if the kids are going to engage in some of this food play that we'll talk about, that they take a little portion of say ground beef and maybe some scrambled eggs, they just put it in an ice cube tray and either get it out again the next day or freeze it. Because if you really don't think the kids are going to end up eating it, it's totally fine to do that. And that helps us with the food waste, of course. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, luckily, especially right now um, with all the farmers and, and being able to eventually get some fresher produce and fresh eggs, um, eggs keep a long time. They're not expensive. So they're a great one for food play and a little bit of ground beef. I even recommend to parents that if they, they, as their family, if they tend to buy the more expensive meat, say the grass fed ground organic, you know, all of that to maybe buy an inexpensive one just for food play and market accordingly. No big deal. If a kid takes a bite, that's awesome. But that means you're ready to shift to the other, whatever is part of your family's food culture. Mm -hmm. I want you to do. Let me give you a couple examples though, and I'm going to just follow your lead and um, in Adventures in Veggie Land, because we can alter this particular activity to include, say, meat and eggs. We have in the sweet potato chapter, one of the funnest thing to do and very inexpensive is just to take some mashed potatoes and some sweet potatoes, a little bit of broccoli, maybe some dinosaurs and create a little volcano. Kids love doing this. 
I do recommend, however, that you have a bowl of water nearby so they can rinse off their hands if from a sensory experience it's just too much for them. Uh, so they can get that relief and continue to play. But this is the sort of thing that although this book is all about veggie play, we can apply it to anything. Let's say that we take the scrambled eggs and we make the volcano out of scrambled eggs. Um, we could make the scrambled eggs be little boulders around the volcano. We could do the ground beef to be gravel along the bottom as well. Uh, you know, let the kids, we could ask the kids, what do you think we could do with this ground beef? What could we add in here? Do we need anything else? Do we need some red pepper spears to kind of add in there too? What do, what do you want to do? The most important thing is that you try to help it be child directed. And as you're playing, you're giving the kids ideas but we don't want to be so careful not to jump in and tell them what to do, especially from a speech and language standpoint. It's really important that we follow the child's lead. It's true in food play too. So another option for you is um, one of the best thing with eggs. Think of eggs like tofu and just go ahead and um, make yourself an omelet and it's relatively thick, right? And then you can cut it into cubes, just like tofu. You can build with blocks. You can play tic-tac-toe. It's the great thing about eggs is you can cook them into almost any shape. You can put them in little muffin tins and make blocks that way. But more importantly, the kids can help you do that and they can experience how an egg changes over time. So um, eggs are actually one of my favorites. And just last note on meat. The reason why so many kids, especially toddlers and preschoolers, have trouble with meat is because it tends to fall down in what we call the lateral sulci, right where you get a popcorn kernel, you know, right on the corner of your mouth. And little kids aren't that adept at reaching in there with their tongue and cleaning that out. So when you are serving meat, cut meat into a little pea-sized cube, like a tiny piece of steak. The fattier the steak, the better. Right now, we're not so worried about the fat content, and you can speak to that much better than I do because the kids aren't gonna be eating a whole lot. It's more that we want something super moist and easy to chew. So just little tiny pea-sized cubes of meat or eggs, or if you're gonna use ground beef, mix a little something into it that will hold it and bind it together like a thick tomato sauce because that will make it easier for the kids to put right on what I call their dinosaur teeth, their molars chew on it just a little bit and not have it tumble over into this uncomfortable feeling down by their lower jaw. Give them a skinny straw and a cup of water so when they chew, they can immediately take a sip and wash it all back. The trick is pea-sized cubes whenever possible because kids can feel a cube better in their mouth. So build with those cubes too. Oh my goodness. Okay. I know everybody's going to love, love, love these tips. Melanie, you are just so insightful. Thank you so, so much for all of your information. Um, can you let us know a little bit more about where we can find your stuff, maybe where we can follow you on social media, anything that you uh, feel might be useful for my, for my listeners to be able to get some more info? I would love that. And I'll send you some links too, but basically it's Melanie Potok, P-O-T-O-C-K, MelaniePotok.com. And you'll find all of my social media links up in the right-hand corner. The only one that's not there that I really want to encourage everybody to um, participate in is my Adventures in Veggieland Facebook group. My Facebook page is Melanie Potok, my Munchbug. And it's 
right there on the link. But I have this really cool Facebook group and it's over, I think we have like 6,000 uh, parents and professionals with kids of all degrees of adventurous eating. And the only rule is that we are nice and we support each other. So it's so fun. I've learned so much on that group from the things that the parents post. They come up with so many good ideas around food play. And then I post three videos every week a tool, a tip, and how to help kids take a taste. So right now we're working on 20 vegetables in 2020. So I hope that your followers will come and join me there too. And I hope you will too and share your information as well. I'd love for my followers to learn more about what you're doing. Oh, I 100% will. Um, really excited to see what's going on in there. Um, so anyway, I will put a link to all of that in my show notes. So you guys, please check it out. Um, she's a, such a great resource and fully trust everything she puts out. So I'm very excited to see what's in the group. Thank you again so much. And I hope I'll be talking to you soon. Let's do it again. This was so great. Thank you. Take care. And thanks for putting out such great information and helping so many families. Oh, it's always my pleasure. (laughs) Bye-bye.